How's everybody doing? Good, good. Sorry, it's weird. Making a conversation with a whole group of people doesn't work out. Sorry about that. Um, so if you don't know me, my name's Kate, and I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at the Statesville campus. Um, and I have the honor of bringing the word, the word today. So if you could turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, last week, Pastor Paul, it was great seeing him last week, wasn't it, came and he spoke to us about um, contagious faith. And today, our conversation is going to build off from that. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, this is what it says. It says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error in pure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. And then let's move on to uh, verse 13. It says, And we also thank you, God, continually, because you, you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as a human word, but it, as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your scripture, for the words you give us through it, what you're doing in it, and God, that it's a living and breathing word that we can pull truths from today um, as your people. And I just pray that you will speak through me and what it is specifically you have for everyone here in this room, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today's message, as I said, builds from Pastor Paul's message last week, because when we live a contagious faith, there's a high possibility that it may come with a cost. You see, following Jesus is the best decision we can make, right? It changes everything about the way that we live. We, uh, we have a moral code now that we can stick to about how to live in a world so that we can make it a flourishing world. We have a community of believers we can walk alongside and build just a life with. We have Jesus that when we pray to him, things happen and that he is working on our behalf all the time. Those are great things. But when we think of following Jesus, we would much rather just focus on those great things, on those blessings, rather than the persecutions. We want the perks, but not the pain that comes with it. But for many, that is just not possible. Pastor Samuel Lam, who spent 20 years in a prison in communist China for preaching the gospel, when he was asked by a group of American pastors about persecution and the advancement of the gospel, he said this, in America, the church has experienced prosperity and is growing weaker. In China, the church has experienced persecution and is growing stronger. 
Persecution is much better than prosperity. Isn't that fascinating? History tells us that the church has seen its fair share of persecution. And it's interesting, though, that in the Western Christianity, we have an inadequate theology of persecution. We think it's odd to experience persecution, even though Jesus said that we should expect it. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact in our country, in the United States, we were founded on religious freedom. And our forefathers were tired of not being allowed to practice their beliefs, so they made a country where they could. And we, we live in the blessings of that, but that means the persecuted world is not something we witness very often in our own context. In John 15, 20, Jesus said, Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. So throughout history, we see moments of persecution. If we start the very beginning of the Bible through the church fathers and the church mothers, that uh, persecution happened to them in the Old Testament. So we, we read stories like Esther, and we see that a whole people group were about to be killed for who they followed and what they believed. We see in Daniel that just because of his prayer routine, he was fed to the lions. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they refused to bow down to a statue and they were put in a fiery furnace, right? And we could go on and on throughout the Old Testament. And then fast forwarding to Jesus who died for the teachings that he spoke. And Stephen, who was considered the first martyr, who was stoned to death. And then moving on to the apostles, they faced it as well. Church history tells us that many of the apostles died while facing persecution after Jesus sent them to spread the gospel all over the known world. Both Peter and Paul died in Rome during persecution from under Emperor Nero. John died of old age at Ephesus, where he was a church leader, having been exiled, though, to Patmos before that, and after escaping unhurt from being thrown into a boiling oil in Rome. James, the son of Zebedee, and I actually have a um, map of this. Yes. James, the son of Zebedee and brother of John, ministered in Spain and was executed at the command of Herod in Judea. And then Andrew spread the gospel in Asia Minor, Scythia, Thrace, and in Greece, where he was then crucified at Patras. Thomas preached in the areas of Syria as far as India, where soldiers were killed, killed him. Philip ministered in Carthage in Asia Minor, where he was arrested and killed at Heropolis. And that's just some of them. We have 13 people that we know of that passed away that were apostles because of the simple fact that they were going and spreading the message of Christ to the known world. We have countless stories of that happening, not only there, but in present day as well. One of um, my favorite things when I was younger, I was a young teenager at this point, and um, I got a hold of, I had got like my first paycheck, I don't know if it was my first one, but one of my first paychecks, and I decided to go to the Christian bookstore. Do you remember those? They were nice, weren't they? So I went to the Christian bookstore to find some type of book, because I'm an avid reader, and uh, the first book that caught my eye was called Jesus Freaks. Any millennials recognize that or non-millennials? Yeah. So, um, 
So Jesus Freaks was written by, I'm sure this will surprise you, well, it was compiled by DC Talk people, right? And so they wrote this, they compiled it, and they worked with uh, Voice of the Martyrs, and it was just a Bible study of different people who had been martyred or persecuted throughout our history. And what it was like, I would recommend, it's definitely written for teenagers, but it was just inspiring, sad, and like really taught me a lot about the persecuted church. And I actually felt like God was telling me at that point in my life that I needed to be a martyr, which then I realized later was like a awkward theology. But I, I wanted to spend my life, and it was speaking to the heart that I had within me of wanting to live my life for Christ in some sort of way. And so those, those stories were just in different places in the world of people just dying or being hurt for their beliefs. And today, there's plenty of countries that it's illegal to proselytize and convert people, where it's punishable by, by, punishable by fine and imprisonment or even death to share your faith with someone else with the intent of conversion. The governments or groups of people there do not want any religion, but theirs expanding. It is in those countries we hear stories of people persecuted for their beliefs in Christ. I could spend the rest of the day telling you all the stories, but I found one that I wanted to show, share with you. This is actually from the Voice of the Martyrs website, which is called persecution.com if you want to go check it out. And it says this, when, apologize for the names, I'm not from this country, so I'm not good at names. When Mustafa learned that his younger brother, Omar, had become a Christian after hearing the gospel from a visiting evangelist in their Moroccan city, he felt he had no choice but to act. On that day in 2005, he grabbed his brother's Bible, a book he considered counterfeit and unclean, and burned it along with the rest of Omar's Christian literature. As the oldest son, he then kicked Omar out of the family's home. His hatred of Christians barred him from sharing a house with an apostate. In Morocco, Islam is in, intertwined with every aspect of life, and the country is ruled by a monarch believed to be a direct descendant of the prophet Muhammad. So in some ways, he kicked him out because he was protecting his family, because there could potentially be a problem if Omar was found out. But also, can you imagine being in either of the brothers' shoes and the decisions they made that day? So Christian persecution is the negative reactions by governments, ideologies, societies, and individuals to the presence of Christ. It is used for the purpose of silencing the positive witness of believing individuals and communities. So that passage I read earlier in First Thessalonians, we learned that the church in Thessalonica was facing persecution. You see, uh, before this point, we learned this in Acts, that Paul and Silas had actually gone to Thessalonica to go and um, tell people about Jesus. And they left within weeks of them being there because of the persecution that they faced. And so they, the, the church, though, was thriving in this community. And he heard that they were still facing persecution, so he sent his uh, good buddy, Timothy, to go check it out, and Timothy only had good words to say, which is wonderful, but also kind of odd in today's logic, especially in the United States, because they were being persecuted, but the church was still thriving. What I find is interesting is that at the very beginning of this church's ministry, 
they were faced with persecution. Their origin story was persecution. These people, just like Omar, chose the way of sacrifice because they knew that there was something so wonderful and magnificent about a Jesus who would come and die for their sins. They would come and die with the intention of having a personal relationship with each of them. See, the Bible promises persecution, and the church is facing it today. But our Western culture is so individualized about it that we think about how it affects us personally or just in our context. I'm sure we each could think of a time where we face some type of opposition in our life, and maybe when it came to your faith or where you, you weren't allowed to speak of it in the classroom at school or you weren't allowed to speak of it at work or whatever the thing is, we all can come to some moment where that opposition existed, but it exists on just a different level in other countries. But the thing is, is when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. This message matters in that the church is global and historic body. When one part of the body suffers, all parts suffer. So I have a good friend. uh, This was, honestly, if I'm being honest, one of the harder messages I've had to prepare for. Um, Because I, I have so many thoughts and feelings and just passions when it comes to this. And so one of my friends... She actually um, is back in the United States on break. She's doing some itinerating because she is a global worker in a country where if they were to know she was there to tell people about Jesus, she would be in trouble. And so to the point where I didn't know where she was most of the time. She'd, she'd be like, oh, I moved countries. I'm like, oh, great. Didn't know where you were the last time. I'm, I'm really happy for you. So I texted her and I was like, okay, I'm having this I'm preaching the sermon. What would you have to say to the local church just from your context? And this is what she said. It's a rare time in history that believers had such a safe place like the U.S. and a few other countries. Following Jesus for the majority of the world means losing your job, social status, rejection, exclusion from your family, or even your family is expected by the community to kill you for bringing dishonor. And yet, it's in these places that people are actively sharing the gospel and the church is growing faster than in places where there is freedom. We have the freedom, but what are we doing with this freedom? What a gift we have. And were we promised safety and freedom? Jesus told us that following him would be hard. And she put this in quotes. Have many troubles, but he has overcome the world, and you will be persecuted for my sake. Jesus made it clear what following him would look like. I just think... What a, what a moment. What, a, what a, a statement from somebody who's lived and breathed that. Um, and with that in mind, here are some right responses when we face persecution or when we're thinking of our brothers and sisters in different countries who are facing persecution. The first one is expect persecution. You know, uh, we, it's what God, it's what Jesus promised is that persecution would happen and expect the hardships and challenges that come with it we are living out our faith in the midst of a conflict between light and darkness you know in first peter it talks about how there's a lion that the enemy is a lion and he's seeking to kill and destroy whomever he may devour and that we need to be alert you see the enemy will use whatever is in his power to stop the gospel from spreading 
We are living out our faith in a culture that is ruled by sin. From the very beginning, following Jesus produces a countercultural, holy way of life, a life set apart for his good work. This brings suspicion from our neighbors, but we are to respond to hostility, hostility and suspicion with love and generosity. I love that in verse 3, um, it says this, in verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 2, For the appeal we make does not spring from the error in pure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. You see, Paul was able to confidently show that the persecution he was facing had no standing. It seems that his accusers were talking about how that he was just like any other person who was trying to spread their faith, and he was just looking for power and money. And he said, no, that's not what I'm doing. Jesus gave me the power that I have to go and talk to you about this, and I didn't ask for any money. And in the same way that Jesus, uh, Paul was able to do that, when we face persecution, my hope, friends, is that the lies or the negative, ungodly, unloving things that people may say about us are found out to be lies. That's my hope for us. I don't, my prayer is that we don't get to a point in our life where people are persecuting us because we're being mean. And that we're looking for it because he's not saying look for the persecution, make it happen to you. But it's because of the way you're living your life out, your contagious faith for him, that you face it. The second point is that we are to develop a right perspective of the persecution. View it as an opportunity to glorify God. In Acts 5, the apostles, and can we actually throw up that scripture? It says in Acts 5.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of God. So this moment was pretty crazy. If you remember correctly, Gamaliel, who was a part of the Sanhedrin, had some, said something along the lines of, if, you, if these people are truly from God, no matter what they do to you, their message will come out. The problem is, is how the Sanhedrin took it is, let's be really mean to them. So they called all the apostles in, and they were flogged. And this is how they left. And the message of God was able to be spread more because it spurred their ministry on. So it, not only should we view it as an opportunity to glorify God, but view it as an opportunity to reveal Jesus. Uh, I immediately thought of Stephen, who it, the first martyr is standing before the people who are about to kill him, and he uses his last words to tell the gospel. Isn't that incredible? What a brave man. And then we're supposed to view it as an opportunity for growth. Those moments, big or small, is like building a muscle of resilience to face more. <laughs> you know, it's a, I think of a, it says in the Bible that, you know, if he trusts you with few, he'll trust you with a lot. This is what, it's building the muscle, building whatever the muscle is that he's wanting to build within you. Those moments of persecution, even if they're small, might be building you up for something bigger. Uh, the third point is to choose to worship through persecution. We can either choose to magnify God in the midst of hardship, or we can magnify the hardship and lose sight of God. Now, being honest, how many of you magnify the hardship? Because my hand's up for a reason. <laughs> Some. 
Yeah, uh, Friday, I was actually on my way um, home from the mountains, went on a hike, and um, this is nothing to do with persecution. This has to do with hardship, to be clear. And my uh, car started acting funny right outside of Statesville, and I have 30 minutes to drive out from Statesville. And it's been such a long time. I've been blessed with a car that hasn't acted funny in such a long time that I panicked. And I was like, who do I call? What do I do? And I could not like get my mind in the moment because I was looking at the hardship of the problem and realizing I've got this on Saturday, I've got this on Sunday, I don't have an extra car. And, you know, in that moment, I've, I've dealt with situations like that. I've seen other people deal with situations like that, right? You know, we all have moments where we need help, but at the end of the day, like, God is still faithful. Those days are still going to happen, and it's not going to change God, you know? Um, and so <laughs> this was also a growing moment for me, reading, um, preparing for the sermon, is realizing that hardship is an opportunity to focus on Jesus, So the third point is this. Choose to worship through the persecution. You see, we can choose to magnify God in the midst. Oh, I already said that, didn't I? I'm so sorry. I got distracted. The biblical reference to this would be Paul and Silas did this well, right? Um, When they were sitting in jail because they had preached about Jesus and people got mad at them and they're, they're locked up and and they start singing worship songs. And then if you remember, the whole place shook and the, the chains fell off. And they went and they didn't move because they knew that it would be problematic for the guard if they moved because the guard would have gotten in trouble for them running away. And from all of that, they were able to lead the guard and his family to Christ and baptize them. See, it's wonders what praising and focusing on Jesus will do rather than the situation will do for us and everyone else around us. Uh, Our fourth point is that, and this is our final point, that we live out grace as you choose to love and forgive those who persecute you. So Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 for 44 says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Forgiveness, it's not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice to end the cycle of revenge and leave justice in the hands of God. You see, Jesus did it best when he prayed for his torturers in his last moments. Remember that? He's on the cross and he's like, forgive them. See, followers of a persecuted master will themselves be persecuted. May we embrace persecution in a way that reveals Jesus. Jesus was persecuted, and his church throughout history has been persecuted. By living strong through the persecution, we are in common, we are in a common persecution with Christ in the body. It was a way to grow closer together and with God. So if you get that, Christ was persecuted. Paul was persecuted. Church fathers were persecuted, apostles, people throughout history. When we live our life courageously, contagious faith, and we're living and um, doing as God has called us and asked us to do, and when those moments of persecution come up, 
we're just more a part of the body than we've ever been. It makes us close to the people around us, uh, the persecuted church in different parts of the world. It makes us closer to God and Jesus himself who was persecuted. The story of the persecuted brother I told you about, Omar, and uh, his brother did not finish with Omar just getting kicked out of the family. This is how it finished. Mustafa stayed in contact with Omar, hoping to draw him back to Islam. Isn't that interesting? He eventually visited his brother and asked him for a Bible. He thought that if he could show Omar the Bible's errors, he would return to Islam. Omar gladly gave his older brother a Bible and a pen, suggesting that he mark each verse that he found problematic. I'm sure he's like, man, this is an answer to prayer. The brothers then discussed the verses that Mustafa highlighted, and Mustafa felt increasingly torn between Islam and Christianity. When he read Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, he felt a desire to respond to the scriptures for the first time. I asked God, where are you? And then he said, if you are the one who governs all the world around us, you can tell me the truth. Is the truth from the Bible or is it from the Quran? In the midst of his confusion, Mustafa had a vision. Which when you start doing lots of research, this happens a lot. In which he fell into a deep hole in the ground. As he tried to save himself during his fall, he saw a man whose face was obscured by light. This man, the only one who could truly save him, reached out and embraced him. After the vision faded, Mustafa felt at peace. He opened the Bible Omar had given him and unintentionally flipped to Matthew 7, 7. At this time, I could recognize what it was telling me, Mustafa said. I could recognize that the person who held my hand and gave me a hug was Jesus Christ. He then eagerly shared the experience with his brother. He invited him to his church, and he met with the pastor who helped him answer his deeper questions. And two months later, he turned his back, his back on Islam, and he placed his faith in Christ. The story goes on to say that not only did he place his faith in Christ, but so did his wife. See, the Bible tells us that we will face persecution. May we, with God's power, join in the global story of, growing, of a growing and flourishing church. So uh, thought about how to end this. And I think it'd be who of us tend it with a prayer for our persecuted brothers and sisters in different countries. Um, as I was doing my research, one of the things that kept on popping up with different places I was looking at, the Assemblies of God has a really cool website too. It's called Live Dead. And um, my friend, she's actually a part of that initiative when she went goes to her country. And Live Dead is the idea that you live for Christ um, and all that you do. And it's really cool. They've got like tons of different resources. But in that, they said the biggest thing that we need from our brothers and sisters is prayer. Prayer for those who are being persecuted. Who Prayer for those who are afraid to accept the gospel because of what it means for their family and for themselves. But the thing is, is we, we see this throughout scripture, we see this throughout history, that when the church is persecuted, it flourishes. So let's just pray that that's the case because God's always God and he's always doing, on the work, doing something good somewhere. 
Oh, dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much um, for all that you give us and all that we do. And I just pray, God, that you will be with us uh, today and tomorrow and the places that we go, that, God, um, when we face persecution, that you will help us to just uh, face it with integrity and love and that, God, you will help us to just always follow you. I pray for our brothers and sisters in different countries who maybe they're, it's a person and they're the only one in their family who knows you. Maybe it's um, a whole group of uh, a church that is worshiping that's a little afraid. Whatever the case may be, I just pray in this moment right now that you show up in a tangible way that they feel your presence and that God, um, your hope is given and shown to them that God, if there are those that are afraid for their lives and need encouragement and they need courage, God, that Holy Spirit, that you will come and be the power that they need, God, in those moments. And God, that I pray that you will just help us to remember um, just who you are and what you have for us. In Jesus' name, I pray.